Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Fantasy Scouts podcast, episode number 11, coming at you on Wednesday, May 12th. I am your host, Chad Workman, joined today by Matt Nine, Andrew Woodruff, and Corey Bushlin. We're back after the NFL draft hiatus, and we have a fun show for you today. We're going to break down some of our favorite landing spots from the NFL draft, our least favorite landing spots, and also talk about some NFL vets that saw their value go up or down. Uh, while you're here, make sure to head on over to patreon.com backslash fantasy scouts. If you haven't subscribed yet, go ahead and do so. We're coming out with tons of great content. No hiatus on that front. And with that said, let's get into the show. talking some of our favorite landing spots this was a class that we talked a lot about coming in into the draft we all had our projections and our favorite landing spots for these guys carved out in our heads but how do we feel about their actual landing spots who are your favorites Corey? let's start with you uh can i cheat and choose two that landed on the same team of course Right. Okay. So I, everybody, I mean, anybody who follows my work knows that I'm always a big fan of Zach Wilson coming out and I was a big fan of Elijah Moore uh, coming out. So those two guys landing together, I really love the situation that's happening in the New York with New York, basically the addition of Robert Sala, Michael Fleur coming over the system that those guys are going to run is tailor made to Zach Wilson's skill set specifically before the draft. I believe it was in January at some point, Zach Wilson came out and talked about, how he would love to play for San Francisco. Well, Mike LaFleur was the passing game coordinator 2017 to 2020 in San Francisco. They should be bringing over that same type of system. I think the addition of Elijah Vera Tucker in the first round to go with Makai Becton and whatever else they've been adding there with Corey Davis and some of the, the more depth and lower end starter pieces that they added to their offensive line. I think the Jets are building their team the right way. And I think specifically with Elijah Moore, the type of player that he is, is exactly what Zach Wilson can can gravitate towards Zach Wilson's an out of structure type of quarterback. Elijah Moore is just a tremendous separator, really physical, really um, savvy. And I think those two guys coming in with the same draft class already probably working out together to some degree, they should, uh, they should be a really good pair to follow going forward. Respect that. But how do you leave off your third guy that I kept hearing you talk about all the time, Michael Carter. Right. Yeah. I could have cheated with Michael Carter too, just because I, I mean, he was, he was my RB four coming into the draft. He was a guy that I compared to Clyde Edwards Hilaire. I actually had the same exact grade on him as I had on Clyde last year. I didn't think Clyde was the best running back in that class, much like the chiefs did who picked him uh, as the first running back off the board. But Michael Carter to me from a schematic standpoint, it's an excellent fit, but in terms of his like overall perceived value, he's a guy that you're either in on or you're out on. And he's a very divisive issue right now because he was a fourth round running back. And a lot of people think that he's being kind of propped up due to the kind of suboptimal landing spots of a lot of the other running backs that people liked in this class and some of the draft capital issues that came with those guys as well. So those three guys were all dudes that I love. So I just love the fact that they all landed with the jets. I think the offense is going in the, the right direction, as I mentioned, and Carter's a part of that. He's just a guy that I'm a little lower on relative to the other two guys, because I think he is a guy that's gotten a little overhyped to some extent. So let me ask you a question since you're talking about the Jets and Carter. 
since he was taken in the fourth and they went out and they signed Tevin Coleman and they have LaMichael P. Ryan from last year, uh, would you assume that Carter's draft capital suggests that it's not necessarily his job? Like this is an actual competition that they have in New York. Yeah. And I, I think he's the most talented running back in the backfield. I think we could probably ag- like to agree to some extent with that, but I don't think they're going to outright give him the job. If anybody thinks sure. that he's going to come in and outright win the job, I mean, Tevin Coleman was a part of Michael Fleur's offense in San Francisco. There's probably some weird lingering connection that he's going to use him more than people are giving him credit for. And that usually happens with NFL head coaches uh, and offensive coordinators. When they move teams, they generally like take guys that they're familiar with. And Tevin Coleman to me, like strikes me as a guy that coaches just like for some reason. So I could definitely see Carter getting out to a bit of a slower start in terms of um, actually trying to win out that backfield. So like I said, he's the guy that I'm lowest on of the three jets players that they took in the draft uh, for fantasy. But I do think you have to, I mean, maybe you consider P Ryan a loser or whatever of, of the draft and free agency. I think obviously they liked Tevin Coleman and wanted him, even though Carter didn't go until the fourth round, I thought he'd go a little sooner, but this, this new regime has no ties to P Ryan and he really is kind of just a Jag. So I expect Tevin Coleman to probably be the lead back, but Michael Carter to, to put a significant dent in, in his workload early on and eventually probably take it over. But that's kind of my take. And I'm with you on the Jets. Uh, I, I really like what they did in this draft. Yeah, I agree. But, I think the only, um, the only thing that you got to be a little bit concerned with with the Jets too, if you are betting on someone like Tevin Coleman, I don't know if anybody would be, but with Carter especially is that post-draft or post um training camp like cuts they could definitely be a team that adds Wayne Gallman for example if he gets cut by the Niners or somebody of that nature that could come in and, and just make it an, a really headachy type of situation I think that's where you get into trouble with drafting Michael Carter at the end of your first round of your rookie draft like I've seen some people do I think he's firmly a second round mid second round type of pick in rookie drafts mainly because of that draft capital as much as I had a, a second round grade on the guy I think he was worth a higher pick but you can't um, ignore the fact that he did go in the fourth round what do you got for us, Matt? Uh, I think I'm going to take the low-hanging fruit here, and I'm, I'm going to pick the Eagles as a team. I think what they did as far as landing spots, Devontae Smith, and you got um, uh, Landon Dickerson in the second. Uh, you went out and got uh, Kenny Gainwell. I believe they took one corner as well. So I know the 2022 class is very deep at corner, so I found it interesting that they only took one in 21. Um, so they'll probably address their defense more next year. But just even with the first two picks alone, you know, Devontae Smith, one of probably the most polarizing player in this draft, you know, is he too skinny? Is, what's, he, what's he actually weigh? You know, he's, how fast is he? This and this and this. Um, the, the guy's a superstar. It, at least he's going to be. Uh, and they talked all offseason how, you know, we need to do what we can to give Jalen Hurts a legitimate shot. They went out and they got a number one wide receiver. Uh, to go along with the number one guy they took Rager uh, last year. Uh, then they went out and addressed the O-line. You know, Jason Kelsey's not going to be around forever. And then you got Landon Dickerson to slide right in behind him uh, to to take that over. And the cool thing about Landon Dickerson is, is from his entire career, his freshman year at Florida State, he actually played all five positions. So they can actually plug him in anywhere if they need to. So the, the versatility that he brings. But again, the second round pick in him, it was another nod to, to Jalen. It's like, okay, we got you weapon. Now we're going to protect you. Then later in the fourth, they went out and got Gainwell. It's that's a bad landing spot for him, but it's, it's going to be a committee approach. Jalen hurts is probably the RB two on the team. I mean, let's be real, but uh, 
yeah, for me, it's just the Eagles team as a whole. They, they didn't get crazy. They stuck to their draft board. They said, we're going to do what we can to help Jalen, at least for this year. We're going to give him his shot. And, and that's what they did. I mean, they even had the opportunity to take a quarterback. Justin Fields was sitting there and they passed. Andrew, I see you nodding along, but what do you, who do you got for us? What are your, uh, what are your thoughts on favorite landing spots? Well, first of all, I still think about the Devontae Smith trade up on draft night. We see the Eagles trade up and Twitter immediately just starts exploding between, is it a quarterback, Justin Fields falling down the board or is it going to be Smith to get Hurts a weapon? So, I mean, I think it spoke pretty loud to the Eagles intentions of what they want to do with Hurts. And just give a big nod to Smith saying, like, he can be a receiver one. Um, I don't know. I was, still, I was still chuckling about that, just thinking how Twitter was going crazy that night. But when it came to some of my favorite landing spots, uh, I'm kind of thinking now that I've gone through a couple of rookie drafts, some of the values I've found, plus the guys I thought landed in great situations. Uh, one of the ones that not everybody quite sees sometimes would be, like, Terrace Marshall Jr. for me. Uh, I absolutely love that he went to the Panthers for just a couple of different reasons. Um, starting off right now, his price has been a mid second to a late second, every single draft, five straight drafts now. And I think that's just absolutely phenomenal because one, he's getting reunited with Joe Brady, who was the coordinator the year that he decided to go off with Joe, Joe Burrow back in 2019 at LSU. He was absolutely phenomenal there. He knows the offense and how, Brady can tie that back into now what they're doing with the Panthers. It's going to be similar schemes, except for they might just call a play slightly different. But I think he'll be able to pick on pick pick back up on that because Brady will be like, look, this is what we call it LSU. Just it's the same thing. Just now we're running it this term right now with the Panthers. Um, the other big thing is everyone's like, well, dude, he's immediately locked down as either the receiver three or receiver four on the team. But if you look ahead with this being dynasty, Robbie Anderson's a free agent after this year. There's nothing stopping Terrence Marshall for stepping up and becoming the receiver too late in the season if Anderson starts faulting on the system for any reason and then assuming that role next year. So if you're looking for that flex play in the back of the second for your bigger starting rosters, I love his value. And the other one for me has been the guy right around 201 in drafts for Rashad Bateman, which I know not everybody is a fan on that one. Some people hate that, but I love that he immediately goes to an offense that's been wanting and looking and trying to get anyone to be their alpha receiver one. And Bateman immediately can step in and be the best weapon that they got when it comes to receivers. I know it's not the huge Patrick Mahomes throws 600 times a year, but giving a quarterback a legit weapon like that has only been proven successful so far in the past. So I believe Bateman can step in and help Lamar's pass attempts go up get enough of a target share to also still stay relevant as a rookie this year. So for the value that you're getting to have a potential alpha one at the start of a second, I love that as well. Yeah. I really like the Terrace Marshall call. Um, the obviously Bateman's going to be debated for a while until we kind of see how that plays out on the field, but you know, I'm in on the jets. Uh, I like the, the Devonte Smith call got a, a few, few other names. What's that? That I got a few more if you want them, some deeper guys. Hey, go ahead. I, I've got I've got some too, but go ahead. ISM. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I, I definitely am gonna mention uh Amir Smith Marset. So I I had actually was, you know, fingers crossed that he was gonna get third round draft capital, although that was mostly unlikely. Uh I figured he'd go in the fourth. The fact that he went in the fifth is not really surprising. 
but at the same time, it's, it's, it's a little disappointing, but I think his landing spot is super interesting in Minnesota. So Adam Thielen is not going to be around forever. And I think right away, Smith Marset steps onto the field as your punt returner and kick returner. No questions asked. Uh, and then as the season progresses, I think he's going to get more involved in that wide receiver three role. And then Adam Thielen's going to leave town sometime. Like Amir Smarset is, is no scrub. Like he's good enough to emerge as a legitimate wide receiver two across from Jefferson because Jefferson can act as your possession X receiver and Smith Marset can stretch the field. I mean, this guy has wheels. This guy's so fast. So I think that's a really good landing spot. Um, I would consider him a quote unquote, as sad as it is to say a lottery ticket, almost this guy's ceiling is probably top 12 and his floor is he fades off into the sunset in two years. So we'll just have to wait and see. I I don't think for 2021, he's going to be super fantasy relevant, but going into 2022, depending on what happens with Thielen, there definitely could be a huge bump in, in value. Uh, I also like the Nico Collins uh, landing spot in, in Houston. I think he is this class's quote unquote chase Claypool. So he didn't get really get a lot of the, uh, the targets in college uh, run heavy. I also think Michigan's office is just a total disaster from top to bottom, but he profiles a little bit like Claypool. He's not as athletic. He's not as fast, um, but he has an opportunity to establish himself day one. And that starts in training camp. Uh, Brandon Cooks is the only other receiver there of any relevance whatsoever. I think Nico should have no problem beating out Randall Cobb for, for the number two role uh, and moving Cobb back to the slot. Uh, and then he's also, I, I, I'm not a big Isaiah Coulter, Coulter, however you say his name from Rhode Island last year, not a big fan of him, but he's the only other big guy on the roster. So Nico Collins could be, you know, easy maybe five six hundred yards this year and like eight to ten touchdowns just just because he's going to be a red zone threat every time they get down there uh and then to go with nico uh i gotta go davis mills he was my qb6 pre-draft um i i was kind of bummed just because i don't know if i trust the texans organization right now uh but at the same time it's a pretty good spot because we're gonna get to see him play this year uh they, they told us, you know, with their very first pick of this entire draft, they took a quarterback and they got holes from top to bottom of their roster. So they told us we're pretty sure Deshaun probably won't be back with us. He might be back in the NFL, but he's not going to be back with us. And they also probably know that they're going to be picking in the top two next year. So knowing that, and then you still go out and take a quarterback with your first pick in the third round, that's pretty significant. Like they must really like Mills enough to the point where, yeah, Tyrods might start this year, but at some point Mills is going to get a stretch of games because they need to evaluate him moving into 2022. So do we take another quarterback at the top of the draft next year, or can we take another position? Can Mills, you know, keep us afloat for another three or four years? Can he turn into something that can actually make us a winning uh, franchise again? So I I do think that landing spot is good. Uh, Mills's upside is, you know, I think, uh, I think he should have gone back to school. He probably would have been the QB one next year's class. Uh, But his upside is, is somewhere, you know, way up there in the top, you know, QB 15, 16 ish range. And then again, same as Smith Marset, you know, in two years, he could fade off into the sunset. So it's a lot of risk, a lot of reward with those guys. I just want to, obviously you guys, our audience can't see us on camera, but I, I can see everybody on camera. So I'm looking at some of these reactions, Corey, I see you smirking when uh, Matt brings up the Nico Collins to chase Claypool kind of comparison. What was going through your head there? Oh, okay. So I put out a video on our channel. I literally, like it was called the top like five sleepers post-draft and Nico Collins was in the pre-draft 
video because he was a sleeper in his own right pre-draft. And then he got third round draft capital to a situation that should be right for him to be able to sit and develop while the franchise figures their, you know, what out um, with Deshaun Watson and their quarterback situation. But I literally made the comparison already. That's why I kind of smirked. I was like, yeah, he could be this year's Chase Claypool because when you're a young, talented receiver, which Nico Collins is, he, yeah, he's a bit raw, but all you really need is opportunity for the most part. And if you have a, like, I'm not saying it's likely that Deshaun Watson is the quarterback there going forward, but if you have a situation where you're tied to a top five overall pick quarterback going forward in year two and year three of Nico Collins' career, he could be their X receiver. Uh, if he develops into even like a DJ shark type uh, of X receiver, he could even develop into, I think. So yeah, I really like that call. I think uh, real quick, two guys that I, I like late Hunter long was my tight end two before the draft. I thought him going off the board as the tight end three to the dolphins. He's a guy that I also would consider a raw prospect. So the fact that he's going to be able to go uh, and sit behind Mike Kosicki, who's an upcoming UFA this year and hopefully step into the starting tight end role in 2022 uh, he's the guy that I find myself taking in a lot of late third round rookie drafts. And uh, yeah, that, that's another guy that I like. And I also like uh, Des Fitzpatrick from uh, the Titans, just because of the vacated production type arguments, obviously that you're going to hear Corey Davis, Khalif Raymond, Adam Humphreys, all, all gone. And Johnny Smith is gone too. Their third leading receiver from last year. That's currently still on the roster was Derek Henry. So that's how bad they're struggling for targets right now. Josh Reynolds and AJ Brown, I, like, I mean, AJ Brown can't do everything. He's, he's a stud, but he can't do everything. And Josh Reynolds is a fine receiver, but I think if Des Fitzpatrick's a really buzzy name in training camp, maybe he's showing out really well. Maybe he has a good preseason. He could be a guy that steps into a bigger role than some people are anticipating. I think a lot of people just expect the Titans to add a receiver at some point, whether they trade for Julio Jones or something like that, but there's a good chance they want to see their young guys in action. If they perform, they might not feel inclined to add anybody. One other guy real quick I want to add to this list of, of deeper guys is Kenny Yaboa. So what's interesting about him is Andrew and I built this tight end model and our, our player pool went back to 2014. And going back that far, Kenny Yaboa is one of the most athletic tight ends to come out of college since 2014 who wasn't drafted in the top 64. The fact that he went as an undrafted free agent is mind-blowing to me. So he's going to be one of the ultimate outliers of all time. Either he has a ridiculous ceiling or you're never going to hear from him again, but he's in a very, very interesting spot because all he has to do is beat out Chris Herndon. And by doing that, you're putting yourself in the same position in this Jets offense that George Kittle is in, in San Francisco. So there is an opportunity for Yeboah to become relevant right away, but I also think we're going to see that right away. If he is, if he is going to be a, a good tight end, it's this year. Uh, and if not, then that, that's probably it. So now that you guys picked the bone dry, uh, I'll give mine. Um, I, no, I, I had a lot of the same guys on my list, but a few names that weren't mentioned, I guess, would be Diami Brown. Um, I think pretty good landing spot in Washington there. He'll have some opportunity, a guy that, that I like quite a bit. Uh, Amari Rogers, if, if the other A-Rod stays in Green Bay, I think he's a good fit there. And then Trey Lance as a quarterback. I know, Corey, you, you have a lot to say about him. We won't get too deep into it, but I like the landing spot. I was, I figured he was the Niners target all along, put some, won some money on it. And I was really hoping that they picked him because I'm, I'm excited to see that play out. But my main guy here may be a little controversial, but I'm going to say Javante Williams. You can call me a homer if you'd like, but he's still my RB1. I think a lot of people just see that you know, he's going to play behind Melvin Gordon this year and think that it's not a great spot, but 
Melvin Gordon, first of all, his contract's up after this year, and he is almost certainly gone after this year. There's a chance they could, you know, they save about $7 million if they move on from him before the start of the season. I don't necessarily think they will, but it's not out of the question. But, I mean, even with Gordon there, the Broncos ran the ball 372 times last year, which was well above the league average. I think league average was like 350. So, and that's for running back rushing attempts. So they were a bit above average. Philip Lindsay ran the ball. He carried it 118 times and that was in 11 games. So he was on pace for, I don't know, 170 carries or so if he played a full, a full schedule there. So, I mean, you give those touches to Javante Williams and Javante Williams is a better player than Philip Lindsay. And I don't think Melvin Gordon was as good last year as the Broncos had hoped. It's also, you know, you got, you got a new GM, obviously it's the same coaching staff, but I don't think that team is that high on Melvin necessarily, but they love Javante Williams. And so do I. And when you look at some of the other landing spots in this class, I mean, I'm not going to knock Najee's going to walk into tons of volume right away with the Steelers, but that offensive line is in shambles. I, I don't think Ben Roethlisberger is very good anymore. Frankly, I'm pretty worried about that entire offense going forward. I don't know what they're going to look like. Not just you this year. But Locke, that's for sure. It, well, <laughs> hey, no. Um, At least Drew Locke has arm strength. Yeah. And, and I mean, that's fair too. But I think for one, it's going to be Aaron Rodgers under center for the Broncos. <laughs> um, but no, I think the Broncos have a pretty good offensive line. They've added to it. Um, and this is a team that's going to be really good on defense. I think they're going to run the ball. I just think there's going to be more opportunity for Javante than people are realizing. And I think it's wheels up in year two. So, um, uh, I, I we, think at we first were, it, we were talking pre-show, you know, you said they traded their second and either a third or a fourth, another pick of, of sorts. So come up and get them. I mean, you got to follow the money trail. If they're going to come up that high and spend that much capital, come get somebody, they're definitely going to use them. And, and like you said, moving into 2022, I mean, the, the running lanes that, that the Broncos are going to be able to produce with a healthy offense is going to be ridiculous because you got Judy Sutton and Fant all pulling the defense downfield. I mean, Javante could run wild this year. Yeah, absolutely. And I see, I see a very similar situation to a lot of the second year backs that we have right now with how Dobbins right. came along the second half of the year and how um swift did the same and and acres did the same it it seems very cut and dry to me he's more of like if you're in a if you're in a rookie draft he's a very rebuilding type pick where you're you're probably not getting an rb1 this year but if something happens to melvin which we know has been a thing for him in the past or uh like you said in 2022 or the back half of this year he'll be able to you know fully take the reins over that job they went up to 35 and traded ahead of miami for a reason because they knew he would be gone probably at that pick and if nothing else, I think from a dynasty perspective, from a value perspective, Melvin being gone next year and Javante being the presumed unquestioned starter, at least before the NFL draft, gives you a selling window if you wanted to even sell him next year, because his value will probably be Cam Akers level next year, this time next year. Yeah, that's a good point. And I'm glad you mentioned that about the second year backs, because I was going to mention it uh, kind of in relation to that Baltimore backfield as well how I could see it playing out that way, kind of how Mark Ingram started the year as a starter, obviously Melvin Gordon's, you know, younger and, and a little better than Mark Ingram was, but I could definitely see Javante kind of 
being very efficient early on and then slowly uh, kind of taking over the role down the road towards the end of the season. Uh, all right, let's go ahead and pivot to some of our least favorite landing spots. Who are some guys you you kind of liked, but you weren't uh, weren't a fan of where they ended up? Andrew, let's let's start with you. All right. Well, the first easy one that I had receiver ten, Seth Williams. I liked him because he hit a lot of things I thought was going to look successful. I know a bunch of people. Unfortunately, when you think of the analytics community, like you, a lot of people overhype breakout age. I've been telling Matt when we were working behind the scenes on some other stuff, like breakout age to me is not a pre-draft thing. It ties in directly to draft capital. You should weight it as a post-draft. But he hit so many other things to see him fall all the way into the sixth round going to the Broncos. I mean, that immediately, like you have to correct that. He drops way down the board to pretty much undraftable. He wants to be one of those maybe priority free agent grabs, stash him, see if he ever becomes something unlikely unless that quarterback in that whole offense takes a big step forward going into the future. Uh, another one easily look at among the running backs was probably Kenny Gainwell. He's mostly a top five running back for most people. And to speak to the weakness of the class, he it still is for some. Uh, but when he landed in Philadelphia, like it just immediately shows he's in a running back committee, Miles Sanders and him will just duke it out for different touches and you've got a running quarterback who most likely is not going to be looking to check it down to running backs. He's either more likely once he rolls out of the pocket to take it down the field himself and run or go ahead and find that underneath receiver, maybe Smith, Rager, or Goddard somewhere uh, working it already beyond in line of scrimmage. So Gainwell's ceiling just immediately got capped. I don't know what you're willing to spend on him, but if it's a late second round pick, I'm probably going to go ahead and take one of those receivers that we've talked about already before that I just see a, a path to more relevance at this point. So for me, that's, that's the first two obvious ones off the top of my head. Yeah. So one of my least favorite landing spots is I'm going to go with Till and Wallace here. And I mean, if, if he had been the only wide receiver taken to the Ravens and he wouldn't be on this list, but the fact that, you know, Bateman went there and I think that's a good landing spot for Bateman because he's clearly the, uh, the one, uh, but it's it's still not a very high volume pass team, and then and then you know you got another good prospect in Wallace, who's now maybe the two if he can beat out Marquise Brown, but probably the three. So now you got a wide receiver three on a very run heavy team who took a wide receiver in the first round to be their one. So I don't know if there's going to be a lot of fantasy relevance there. Uh, he's definitely a good a good guy to have on the taxi this year. Um, let's see here. Another landing spot I know uh, Andrew alluded to it uh, was Gainwell. Uh, I guess I was surprised to see Kylan Hill uh, be drafted so late. I know it was one of Andrew guy, Andrew's guys pre-draft, uh, and then and then Josh Palmer. I that I don't want to say it's a bad landing spot, but it's I'm confused by it. So he really didn't come on strong until late in the draft process, and I I believe he was overdrafted. I, I believe he's going to bust. Uh, the tape is okay. Um, he does have some potential, but I, is he is he the Mike Williams replacement? You guys think? Yeah. Okay. So the landing spot isn't an issue for me. The talent is the issue. Yeah. For you, I mean. Right? Yeah. I. I oh, yeah, I think he was. To well me, the landing that. spot's good. I think he's a developmental receiver. He's with a what I consider to be a borderline elite quarterback already in his career. He should get even better. And I think Palmer, if he's going to succeed, it's in the situation he's in. But. I, I agree. I agree with you. I think he was a raw player. He didn't have a lot of production. He did 
produce well relative to what his offense produced, if that means anything, I guess, because the offense in general was kind of bad. But um, Palmer, to me, is a guy that actually does have some upside, and he's a guy that I'm targeting because you're usually getting him in the late third round. Yeah, he could bust, but like so could a million other people going in the late third round of rookie drafts, right? And I think if you get a guy that could be tethered to Justin Herbert as his wide receiver too, which I guess is obviously the ceiling for him, but from 2022 and beyond, I'm willing to take a shot on him in the late third round. Yep. So I don't know. I just, I don't know why I forgot this name, but thinking back on it, I was like, what is the one guy that I just don't want anything to do with? And I am okay if he misses in rookie drafts. Uh, this dude's not going early by any means in rookie drafts, but Tutu Atwell, respect the guy. He's way more talented than I ever can hope to be, but I am not willing to spend a draft pick on a guy that is that small, even though he went in the second round to the Rams organization. I don't see him becoming the receiver two, and I don't think receiver three is going to be of relevance in that kind of offense, even though, yes, it is one of those spread it out, throw the ball a pretty good bit. Um, but just somebody his size – I'm not wanting to bet a rookie stash pick on an outlier just like that. And people will argue, okay, well, draft capital has to matter. And it does. But KJ Hamler went second round last year and I didn't touch him either. And I don't regret that still. Like there comes to a certain point where the production, you have to also factor in the guy's overall build into, okay, does this dude have a chance to become an alpha or is he always going to be a beta that's going to sit there and be a role guy? And to me, Tutu Atwell is a beta role guy that's going to sit in somebody's bench. Um, when you, so I can transition quickly into who I have. You, you're talking about small receivers, and this is partially why I was kind of out on this guy pre-draft, but I, I don't like the Rondell Moore landing spot. I know probably a lot of people like it because they assume that Cliff Kingsbury is this offensive genius or whatever. And I'm not saying he's an idiot coach and he doesn't know what he's doing, but I think the landing spot of Rondell Moore has allowed people to fully buy into him, right? And they're taking him in the late first, early second round. And I'm just not there with Rondell Moore. I wouldn't have been in there with Rondell Moore if he had gone to what I would consider a, a great landing spot, which to me would have been like the Jets or something where Michael Fleur would know how to use a guy like him. He's a guy that needs scheme touches. That's the way he plays. It's the way he played at Purdue. I don't think he's ever going to be a guy that you just throw out on the outside and get him to run deep routes. I think he's always going to be a guy that's closer to the line of scrimmage type of player. And I think with Chase Edmonds already there, like they're kind of going to be used the same way. And I think, like you said, with Tutu Atwell, he's just a guy I'm okay missing on. He's currently my 18th ranked player uh, overall in a, a super flex format. So I would take him in the mid second round. The problem is he's just never there for me. He's always gone before that. And he's a guy that I think, definitely could be an outlier like five foot seven like super freaky athlete is is a rare mold it doesn't happen very often so if he does break onto the scene and become a fantasy superstar i'm gonna all eat crow and admit i was wrong but i i just i just don't see it likely for the, for him to break onto the scene like that yeah Man. go ahead andrew you've been seeing late first rookie drafts for yeah. Ron Moore. Over oh, I've seen him over Bateman and over, um, I mean, a number of other guys. I've seen him picked over Mac Jones in a super flex. I've seen him picked over uh, Elijah Moore all the time. I see him picked over Terrace Marshall. I'm just not, I've seen him picked over De'Ami Brown. All those guys that I just mentioned, I have ranked ahead of him. If you want to take, if you want to take him over a guy like Michael Carter, I don't like, I don't think there's a huge issue with that, but at the same time, yeah, like Rondell Moore, the landing spot was, it was very hype driven in my opinion. Cause it, the, the cliff Kingsbury thing, it's, 
he hasn't really shown the ability to be able to use players to their fullest potential, right? The only thing we've seen out of Cliff Kingsbury is like a bit of progression in Kyler Murray's career. And then DeAndre Hopkins, who was already a well-established superstar come over and, and produce. And I think a, a lot of Cardinals fans and stuff have really questioned a lot of his play calling and stuff. I, I know he gets labeled as like an offensive guru, but I don't know if that's necessarily the case, at least with him as a head coach. But what were you going to say, Matt? Don't forget that quote that's been floating around for a few weeks. Some He had some sort of press conference that a reporter asked him, you know, how, what's what's the role for Rondell uh, for rookie year? And he was like, well, you know, DeAndre's going to get his, A.J. Green's going to get his, and then Rondell's competing with everybody else for that wide receiver three role in targets. And I'm just like, you spend a high second round pick on a guy who's competing for targets? Like that's... Behind A.J. Green? Yeah. So, I mean, I, it makes no sense to me. Like, I'm, I'm out on Rondell. Uh, I'm not a big analytics guy. I am learning more about it. But from my understanding, someone of his, his stature would be the absolute ultimate outlier of all time. And if I'm going to Vegas, I'm not putting all my chips down on the black, you know, on the roulette wheel on, on black one or something like that. So, yeah. Ironically, he was an analytics guy too. The analytics people loved him, yeah, which I, to me, I never understood because a big but, part of analytics also is health which right. has also been a question with him too. And, and, and when you look at also, his profile, it's freshman year. After that, right. it's like, where the hell did he go? Sustainable production was never a thing for him. He was a yeah. guy that was running. He basically was, I've always described Rondell Moore as the kid at recess that nobody can tag. That's basically, he was the best athlete on the field, probably in his entire conference, let alone on his team. And you just got Rondell the ball any way you could. And I'm not saying he can't run deep routes, but he never did it. And he never did a lot of things, which was another thing was catch the ball consistently. He was never uh, a guy that was able to use his hands as an asset. He was more so like a body catcher that would just kind of get the ball in space and watch him go. So yeah, and I'll stop ripping on Rondell Moore. I want to mention one guy real quick too. Um, I don't really like Justin Fields' landing spot, to be honest. I That might be a hot take to some people. The reason I don't like it the most in the world is because I always look at organizational stability with quarterbacks. I don't really care about organizational stability with wide receivers and running backs and stuff. Cause it's, it's usually not relevant, but with the quarterback position, it's so complex. It's so there's guys that have been NFL draft scouts for 30 years, like Mel Kiper that still will miss on quarterbacks. And generally the reason they miss on them is because of the place that they went to, not necessarily the player themselves. And I think the bears landing spot is, is a lot less optimal than some people are kind of painting it out to be. A lot of people will, go oh he has Allen Robinson and he has Darnell Mooney who's this exciting young receiver and he has uh, Matt Nagy who's his play caller I see a, a guy who's on a franchise tag in Allen Robinson who if things don't go well early with Justin Fields and that could be an issue for him we, we heard that he was potentially uh, a guy that might struggle mentally for like I, that's not my words it's what people around the league that were connected said so if that is the case then and a guy that gets off to a slow start for a regime that's on thin ice like Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace are on. If this guy has a Tua level rookie season, not no offense to Tua or a Jared Goff level rookie season where maybe he struggles a little bit, we could be seeing a situation where there's an entirely new regime in town. Allen Robinson might want to leave and whatever the case is. If Justin Fields comes out and is spectacular, all those things get kind of sullied away, obviously. But um, that is the concern for me with Justin Fields is that if he doesn't get out to a quick start, it might be, you know, downhill really fast for him, which is really concerning from a dynasty perspective. You're looking for a long-term asset. Corey, I am 100% behind you on that. I thought that too. Justin Fields, good. Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy, bad. Yeah, yep. and not to mention, they 
I think I loved their draft at first. I was like, oh, nice. You got Tevin Jenkins to play right tackle. You got Charles Leno on the left side. And then they cut Charles Leno. I'm like, okay, so how much does that upgrade your offensive line putting in a second round rookie who fell in the draft for whatever reason to replace not a great offensive tackle in, in Charles Leno, but he's, he's adequate. He's, he's a, a starting caliber player. And I think he's going to start for an NFL team as soon as whatever happens gets cleared right now. So had they kept Leno and had Tevin Jenkins on the outside, I'd have more faith in their offensive line too. And, and Justin Fields, my biggest concern with Justin Fields was his ability when he was pressured. So to me, offensive line is important for him. And from a fantasy perspective, this could all not matter, right? He could come out and rush for 800 yards his rookie season and he'll be great for fantasy. But from a long-term perspective where you're looking for job security and stuff like that, we could have a lot of questions about Justin Fields after his rookie year. And that's what I'm concerned about. Yeah, I think the big knock for me is just I, I don't feel like Matt Nagy's ever been any good at uh, designing plays around the player's skill set. Like we saw it with Trubisky. Like I don't believe Trubisky is as bad as that he showed, but he's also not this drop back quarterback throw it 35 times a game. Like Matt Nagy never really utilized his legs. And I feel like that's what you kind of have to do with Justin Fields. Like you need to get him on play action passes to where you necessarily don't have to read coverages but you just see the tears that come open. Like, is this guy open? No, move on to the next one, move on to the next one. Just very quick, easy stuff. So I don't know if he's going to do that. I feel like Nagy might do a lot of the same thing. Drop, you know, five-step drop back and, and, and read the defense. Yeah, which is why I love Wilson so much too, real quick. And then I'll uh, stop talking for a sec. But Zach Wilson, the way that they can use him, we've seen Mike LaFleur, who is actually the passing game coordinator and who probably drew up most of the passing concepts for the 49ers elevate the play of Nick Mullins and CJ Beathard and Jimmy Garoppolo and lead them to top 15 scoring passing offenses where like to me, the true, the true sign of good coaching. And you saw this with Brian Flores in Miami a couple of years ago when they were starting UDFAs is can you take a group of misfits essentially, or a group of less talented players and coach them up to the point that they look like they're a very, very competent team. And that's what the San Francisco's 49, uh, San Francisco 49ers passing offense has pretty much been for the last couple of years, aside from George Kittle, obviously being as talented as he is and the 2019 season where they were virtually unstoppable on offense and defense. Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, just a couple names that you guys hadn't mentioned is, is Travis. And I know, I know you're going to, some people are going to shake their heads like Corey, but it's not, it's not the worst landing spot. I just have to question what Jacksonville is doing. I mean, they, uh, Urban Meyer, I'm just, I'm just not sure what he's doing. Taking a running back in the first round, I get that, you know, he played with Trevor Lawrence and, and they have that connection. And we like, Corey, you got to know this, that we're a, we're a James Robinson fan club here, but more so like, hearing urban Meyer and I know it's coach speak, but he's talking about ETN being a third down back, but he also, the quotes that people haven't been repeating urban Meyer also said he compared him by saying, I've always had this kind of guy and going on to say Curtis Samuel, Percy Harvin. It's also known that they wanted Kadarius Tony with that pick urban Meyer said we were going to draft a wide receiver that went a few picks ahead of us. So if they wanted Kadarius Tony and they're comparing Travis Etienne to a, a Curtis Samuel, Percy Harvin type role, I'm just not sure. And I'm not, I haven't been as high on Etienne as some others, but the guy should be a, you know, three down running back in the NFL. I do believe that. So if Urban Meyer is going to tinker and toy with him and, you know, still give a lot of early down work to J-Rob and then, you know, move ETN around and try to use him in this Curtis Samuel role. I'm just not sure that's the best fit for him. And I just, I don't love it. And I'm already starting to question uh, 
what Urban Meyer and company are doing there. Someone the, should yell that he has LaVisca Chenault on his it, roster. Exactly. Thank you. Looking for. Like, well, you're going to take Kadarius Tony. Like, that would have saved me a lot of trouble because I would have just never drafted Kadarius Tony anywhere if he would have just went to the Jags. But you have it, LaVisca Chenault, who's a way better version of Kadarius Tony on your it, roster. It's so annoying to know that pre draft, like, you know, now that we know in hindsight, it's like J. Robert Visca, one of them was going to die. Right. And I, and, and it's like, those are probably what both of, your... of them die now. If that's how ETN's going to be used. Exactly. Yeah, and then you look at your roster and it's like, so two of the three best offensive weapons you have, you were trying to replace. And you were trying to get rid of the other one, apparently, too. Yeah. With DJ Chark potentially being shot. I just, I, I, I don't. Th- this is why I'm out on Trevor Lawrence, man. This is why I'm willing to miss on Trevor Lawrence. And like I said, for ETN, ETN, to me, I see a very similar situation playing out in Denver with Javante Williams as I do with ETN in terms of his workload in Jacksonville. I think he's going to start off getting pass catching work, and I think he's eventually going to kind of edge James Robinson out, unfortunately, for James Robinson truthers. I've, I've kind of beat the drum for this to death, so I'm not going to get into it too much. But we, we see the effect of new regimes, man. New regimes, they don't care what you did. They drafted a corner at 33 when they took a top 10 corner last year and signed Shaq Griffin in free agency. They don't really care what was there before. Dollars. Yeah, like they, Travis Etienne was a bad pick. Like, and I love Travis Etienne. That was a stupid pick. Why would you pick that guy when you have a guy making absolute peanuts on your roster to do a competent job, a top probably 20 running back in the NFL uh, type of job where I think Etienne's a better running back than James Robinson, but especially for a rebuilding team, there was no reason to make that pick. The only reason you made that pick was to appease your, your first overall quarterback. Yeah, the drop-off yeah. in talent between ETN and Robinson does not warrant the 24th or 5th no, overall no, pick. No, especially when you had, I mean, if you wanted to add an offensive lineman to your team, you had a number of edge rushers probably that could have helped out your team. You could have added a, shit, you could have added anything to your defense, to be honest, because it just needs talent in general. And you also could have even That's added another more. receiver if you wanted to grab Rashad Bateman at that point. He was on the board. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought up Visca because I had that thought as well and it kind of escaped me when I was talking here, but that's that's kind of how CU used them in that Percy Harvin, Curtis Samuel type role and I was hoping Jacksonville would, but uh, yeah, so I'm just, I'm a little worried about that offense and how I, they're going to use ETN. I still, I still think ultimately, I think we'll eventually come around to it. I think Visca will get that role, but I think he's definitely going to try and force it on ETN. But, you know, running from sideline to sideline as a running back, especially with his speed, that's not going to work in the NFL. You got defensive linemen and edge guys and linebackers that are just as fast, if not faster than you are. So they're going to catch him. I, I think that that'll be, you know, a slow process to get there, but eventually at some point, like Corey said, I think, you know, he's eventually just going to, you know, usurp J Rob, you know, he'll take, you know, 60% of the touches, whatever it is. And then I think Visca will eventually slide into that, you know, Percy Harvin role. Yeah. And I think from a schematic standpoint, if you look at how Urban Meyer operated his offense the last time he was a, a head coach at Ohio State with Dwayne Haskins and J.K. Dobbins there, he ran a lot of shotgun. He ran six passes. There was only six plays in 2018 that were not from shotgun for Dwayne Haskins. And Travis Etienne, I'm not making this stat up. Over the last two years, he has, I think it was like 200 and something carries and like 167 this year. Only two carries that James or that uh, Travis Etienne had at Clemson were not from shotgun in his entire like last two seasons of carries. So he's a schematic. He great. He's a great schematic fit. And I talked about it with Lawrence too. They're both good fits for the offense. The problem with I, that I have with it is it seems a little chip Kelly, the way that he's building the team right now. And uh, I don't really like it. Bringing in a 33 year old tight end. That's never played. The position also doesn't help. Yeah. I have have so much to say on that topic. And we'll, we'll save that for another day, but you have to 
kind of wonder what the plan is there. So that's my, that's my biggest quibble, I guess, with ETN in that landing spot. But another name I want to throw out is Elijah Mitchell, um, a guy that's pretty intriguing. I like the talent. Don't love, I mean, look, the Shanahan's know how to use their running backs and you got to take notice when they take one, but they traded up in the, what was it? Third round to get, to get uh Trey sermon. And then they take Elijah Mitchell in the sixth. And this is an offense that has, you know, we alluded to, they've signed Wayne Gallman. I mean, they still have Jeff Wilson. They, they just have so many backs. And even last year, I know a lot of these guys miss time with injury, but the leading ball carrier was Jeff Wilson with 126 carries. Mostert got 104, McKinnon 81. So they really do run a deep committee there, but a guy like Elijah Mitchell, I was hoping he would have a landing spot where he would be a little more involved than I think he's going to be. I mean, they obviously love Trey Sermon and, uh, you know, I don't know that I feel the same way, but they obviously went up and got him much earlier in the draft and, and they still have Jeff Wilson and Raheem Mostert. So Elijah Mitchell, he's a little bit buried there and he's kind of a talent that I, I do like and would love to see get a get a bigger opportunity than he's yeah, probably going to get real there. quick on Mitchell that I, I do want to talk touch on is that if he was going to get sixth round draft capital I think he got the most ideal fit for his sixth round draft capital because Kyle Shanahan does not care where you came from how you got there he'll start Raheem Mostert who was a journeyman UDFA over one of the highest paid running backs in the league and Jarek McKinnon a couple of years ago so if Mitchell it, and I had a higher film grade on Mitchell than I did on Sermon so mm-hmm. I don't think I'm not taking them if all things are equal the same i'm not taking mitchell over sermon because the third round draft capital is real but if i have to take sermon in the early second round or i can just take elijah mitchell in the late third round of a rookie draft i'll just punt and take elijah mitchell if i'm going to do that yeah that's a fair point they uh i also one of my favorite guys from last year undrafted jamichael hasty is still on that roster too and now he's even more buried i just hate how they collect running backs and you don't know what's gonna I mean, happen you know three of them are gonna get injured this year anyway yeah, so. for sure for sure so you just gotta hope you got the guy that's that's staying healthy um okay that covers uh the least favorite landing spots let's talk a little bit of veterans here who do you think uh, just some names here biggest value bumps and hits for veterans i'll start some guys we already mentioned just to get the ball rolling aj brown in tennessee he's a guy we talked on this show months ago we talked yeah andrew's pumping his fist we talked months ago dk metcalf versus aj brown I was on the DK side, but I have to say Andrew was the only one on the show that had AJ Brown ahead of DK. AJ Brown is officially my dynasty wide receiver one. I, we always, you know, Sam always hates the vacated targets argument because they're going to bring in somebody to fill it. But here, Corey, you mentioned they lost Johnu, Corey Davis and Adam Humphreys. That's 192 targets from last year. And they, you know, they brought in Reynolds. They obviously drafted, uh, Fitz, Fitzpatrick uh so they did they brought in some guys but like there's no denying that AJ Brown is gonna see a big bump in in volume and that's been his biggest issue thus far is his overall target share so I think AJ Brown's a big winner I slid him all the way up to wide receiver one and I I love it honestly I'm excited for it I guess the biggest hit again James Robinson I I guess the the hope for James Robinson truthers is that Urban Meyer uses ETN in kind of a wide receiver slash running back that Curtis Samuel role like we talked about. And the Jaguars did run the ball the second, I believe they had the second fewest rushing attempts in the league last year. They were like two, 
oh gosh, I don't even know. Like it, it, they, they ran the ball fairly infrequently last year. So you hope if that goes up, J-Rob can still have a role there. And depending how they use ETN, it could st- he could still be like a RB high end RB three best case is probably low end RB two, but you know, that still has value in fantasy. So he takes a huge hit, but where I have him, I'm not looking to just sell him for, you know, whatever I can get, because I think he's still going to be useful this year, but obviously a huge hit there. So Matt, what do you, uh, what do you got for us? So there's really two names that stand out to me. Uh, and I, I think it's interesting. So I think on the surface, when a lot of people see that Devonte Smith got drafted to Philadelphia, everybody's like, Oh, well, there goes Rager. It's been a first round pick last year. That's why he said, it's not actually true. I think Rager gets a value boost here. I don't think it's enormous, but it does. I do think he gets some boost uh, prior to the draft. I was doing a lot of research, you know, uh, on Jalen hurts and the Eagles and, and Sirianni and kind of what they're trying to do. And it, came across a lot of a lot of stuff that started to repeat itself very quickly is that last year they had Rager playing on the outside a lot and that's not really his his go-to he's speed guy quick get him in space and stuff like that so this year they're moving him to the slot Devante's going to play outside because Devante's better one-on-one uh winner on the outside you know he's got the what is it the wingspan it's you know 12 feet long or whatever it is so I do think Rager gets a value boost here. I actually think him and Devontae could be stride for stride as far as fantasy points go. Um, I'm not sure they'll both finish in the top 12 or both in the top four, but I think they'll finish relatively close to one another. Um, the other guy, I think, that takes a hit going in the opposite direction, I think it's got to be T. Higgins. Now, I know everybody's like, oh, but, you know, Burrow was throwing the most passes and this and this and this. And I think after the first three weeks last year, who was it that played? I think it was the Cleveland game, or Cleveland game where he threw like 56, 60 balls, something like that. That's not how you win in the NFL. That number is assuredly going to go down, those pass attempts number on a per-game basis. And the targets are not going to be there for everyone. They just drafted the guy Burrow wanted, who he has an extreme chemistry with from two years ago. And then there's T. Higgins, who's the wide receiver too, and Tyler Boyd, who's also not a scrub, who's going to play in the slot. So I don't think there's enough targets to go around for T Higgins to be, to finish, especially where his cost is right now, wide receiver 12 to 16. It's somewhere in that range, which is just ridiculous. I think he's more on the, the 28 to 35 range. I think that's more of a comfortable spot to him as a wide receiver too. I think Chase would be the one that should be in that 12 to 16 range. And on top of that, uh, apparently they're committed to Joe Mixon and they're going to run the ball more and they got his old running back coach back. So I don't think all is all is you know well and dandy with Higgins as this wide receiver one that he's being valued at. If somebody in your league is still believes that he's that guy, you need to get out because you can get a lot for him. See, I don't I don't disagree, but I do think it hurts Tyler Boyd more than it does Higgins. I that defense is not good, and they lost more guys in the secondary. I, I'm not saying that they're going to throw the ball. The Burrow's going to throw the ball over 40 times a game like he was last year, but they're going to still throw it a bit and I don't have it up in front of me how many AJ green targets are gone, but I do think, okay. So, you know, that's. So give all of those to chase because chase slides right into that spot. Yeah. And I do agree. I, I, I guess I would have Higgins a little higher than that. What did you say? Like wide receiver 28, 30 range. So I would 28 have 28 to 33. I think that's a comfortable spot for him. I, I think I have him at 20, which maybe, uh, I don't know, maybe that's a little high, but I, I just think it hurts Boyd a bit more. I still think Higgins is is in a position to have a 
high end wide receiver two impact, maybe low end or sorry, low end wide receiver two impact um, on your fantasy team. But if you certainly, if you can get him for the cost that he was going at or sell him for the cost he was going for, then yeah. Right. I think that's his ceiling now is the low end back end wide receiver two. I don't know if I agree with that. I think his ceiling is still higher than that just because we don't, I think Chase is the, the better talent. And I do think he's going to be the number one, but I think it's very real that they continue throwing the ball at a very high clip and that both of them can eat in that offense. I mean, we've seen guys finish, you know, teammates finish as wide receiver ones on the same team before we saw Godwin and Evans do it. We've and, seen uh, Higgins as much like Evans and Chase. Yeah, is a lot like Godwin. exactly. Yeah. yeah. That's very true. So it's, I mean, if Burrow comes back and their defense is still bad, I would not put it past Dak, Zach Taylor to air it out 35, 40 times a game again. Corey, you want to go ahead and get yours? I was making a list, and I've actually got several names, and I need some more na- knocked off real quick before I start going. <laughs> you're a Pats fan, right? Because I feel like I'm going to take one. if, it, if No, go uh, for it. Go for it. Anybody. Yeah, okay, so I, I to me, list. Nelson Aguilar is probably the sneakiest winner of this entire thing, and especially in Dynasty startups, right? Because – Nelson Aguilar, I believe his ADP right now is like in the 160s or something like that. So this is a guy we're getting in this 16th round, 15th round or whatever of of Dynasty startup leagues. And I think the thing that's really intriguing to me with Nelson Aguilar is the kind of metamorphosis he took last year as a player. Because over the course of his time in Philadelphia, he was a guy that was 11.02 average depth of target. Uh, and 11.04 average yards per reception. So he was more of a slot receiver. He was a guy that was used out of the slot. I think it was like 55% of the time or more over the last three seasons that he played in Philadelphia. Whereas last year, 18.7 yards per reception in Las Vegas and 15.7 average depth of target. So they completely revamped his role uh, with the Raiders to a deep threat. And I think what Bill Belichick has been missing since really like 2017 when Brandon Cooks was last year, was a guy that was able to stretch the field consistently. And I think Aguilar actually looked good last year. Like he didn't like he didn't just look like he was a product of high volume or anything like that. This was a guy that was not uh, like number seven in yards per target, number two in yards per reception at the receiver position, number 10 in fantasy points per target. This is a guy that was actually productive. And I think when you look at the additions that they made and the ones that they didn't make, they didn't add a Rashad Bateman, in the, or not Rashad Bateman, uh, Amon Ross St. Brown in the draft or anything like that who they had a chance to draft numerous times. Uh, Mind you, they added Kendrick Bourne, who's a slot receiver, probably take over for like the Julian Edelman role of the offense. And then they added two tight ends. There's no second and third level threat on the offense outside of Nelson Aguilar. And he's a guy that I believe had like the, a 97.5 PFF grade on plays of 20 plus yards. And he had like six point something yards per route run on plays 10 to 19 yards. So in that intermediate and deep areas of the field, he's really the only option in the Patriots offense right now. And whether it's Mac Jones or Cam Newton playing quarterback, when you have that much of a monopoly on a, on an offense, you can see a situation like you saw with DJ Chark a couple of years ago, where you're just getting all of that production, whether it's a lot of production for the offense in general, you're getting all of it. So one more guy real quick, before we throw it over to Andrew that I want to mention, I feel like I'm in the minority here in the fantasy scouts uh, when it comes to Michael Pittman jr. I also think he is a sneaky, sneaky winner of this entire um, really off season process. So, you know, we heard for a long time, you know, oh, they're going to go after Kenny Galladay, Chris Godwin, Allen Robinson didn't get anybody, didn't bring anybody in, not a single one. They re-signed T.Y. Hilton, but I don't, that really doesn't bother me. Then we get through the draft and they draft one tight end, no wide receivers, or at least any wide receivers I care about. So 
Michael Pittman is in a really good spot to finish as a top 24, this guy. Now, this is, of course, assuming Carson Wentz can get his act back together from two years ago. Uh, with that being said, though, you know, you got the head coach with the quarterback who is in Philly three years ago, four years ago, who wanted to go get Alshon Jeffrey to get uh, Carson Wentz, a big body guy, big possession guy, downfield jump balls, you know, uh, Michael Pittman, I think 6'2", 6'3", something like that. Right. So now fast forward to today, you got the same head coach, you got the same quarterback, and now you got the Indies version of Alshon Jeffrey again with the T.Y. Hilton to as your quote unquote Deshaun Jackson or whatever you want to call it. So I think Michael Pittman's in a fantastic spot to finish this top 24 guy, thousand, thousand yards, 1100 yards, you know, maybe seven, seven to nine touchdowns, something like that. So I think he's primed for a really big year. Again, assuming Carson Wentz can, can fix his issues. Let's not forget about Paris Campbell, Matt. Paris Campbell has to play first. He has to step <laughs> on the field. Was well, I told I told Chance the other day? I think he's played seven games in two years, something like that. It's just I, it, yeah, he's he's looked good when he's on the field. So you know, yeah, he's, his wallet's also very heavy too for not having to do anything. So this is very true. I'm still. I'll probably always be a Paris Campbell truther. I hope he can get healthy because I think he's a slight winner too showed maybe they have some faith in him, but Michael Pittman is a good, I have no issue with Paris Campbell as a player whatsoever. I think he's a fantastic football player. My issue is I cannot have, I do not want to roster a guy who has appeared in not even 50% of one season and you've been in the league multiple years. So I can't do that. I I love the Pittman call. I have him. I, he's a guy that I had, I think he was like my wide receiver six last year and had him head of like Jalen Rager and a bunch of guys that everyone was like super high on. I really liked the situation he was going to be in last year. I thought he could have been like last year's AJ Brown didn't materialize that way, but he was a guy that from week eight on, this was a guy that was playing over 80% of the snaps every single week. He had a number of games. He had eight targets, seven targets, nine targets, five, five, six. Like he had a number of games where he was getting decent volume. And that was from Phillip rivers. And if Frank Reich can even remotely channel 70% of Carson Wentz in 2017, that's going to be an upgrade over Phillip rivers. So I think with Pittman, the fact that they added nobody, and I heard it a lot as a Bucks fan that they were going to go heavy after Godwin, and uh, he didn't even make it to the market. So uh, the fact that they kind of just gave up, they didn't go after Juju, they didn't go after Will Fuller, they didn't go after any of the guys that signed cheap deals that they could have easily gone out and got, they just didn't do it. Yeah, I think it's also important to note that uh, at the end of last year, uh, Frank Reich you know, said we got big plans for him moving forward. And, you know, they, he backed that up. And, and I feel like in his particular situation, it's one of those things where it's like when he got drafted, you kind of sat back in your seat and you're like, yes, this is exactly what I needed because the Colts organization as a whole, as well as Frank Reich are very smart and they, they don't, they don't go out and they spend a ton of money. They use their draft cap, uh, capital very, very wisely. So when they go out and pick a guy, it's for a specific purpose, it's for a specific reason. So I don't think he's just going to, you know, going to get wasted away on the bench like they're going to use him 40 pick yeah they're they're going to feed him target not that it matters he's actually taken before jt so hey that's fair enough i say yeah i actually didn't have him on the list so i'm impressed that was a good one that was Uh, a good one i didn't i didn't think of him either but that's a really good call there yeah i'll say i like that one so like i do have a couple lists i'm gonna start with a couple guys that i thought kind of lost value by the time we got done with the nfl draft uh the first one he actually made me think of when y'all were talking about Michael Pittman, uh, Denzel Mims. I know a lot of people were hyping him up as, oh, man, year two breakout, here we go. And then the team proceeded to add Corey Davis in free agency and then Elijah Moore. And still you got Jameis, uh, Jameson Crowder also sitting there working it. And 
I just don't know what kind of role we can really expect for Denzel Mims, but I know a lot of people were sitting there willing to pay up 2021 first plus last year. And then if you go back now and look at, I would even say the top 10 guys that you can get in a super flex 21 first, I would easily still choose any of those rookies over Denzel Mims situation. And honestly, you could even say the 111, 112 range because you got Rashad Bateman and guys that you might prefer at the end of the first still over this guy. I'd rather have any receiver that goes in the second round than Denzel Mims, to be honest. I'd rather have De'Ami Brown. Ron, I don't even like Rondell more that much. I'd rather have Rondell more than Denzel Mims. I probably yeah. would too. So, I mean, it's just – it was a really bad situation. I know part of that got hyped when the Jets were for the longest time. Oh, here we go, 101, Trevor Lawrence. And, I mean, looks like they still got a good quarterback, but we just don't know what kind of role to get for him. And I know a lot of people overpaid. His value is nowhere near the same. Um, just kind of transitioning to another guy, Ryan Tannehill. A lot of people boost him up. I'm not saying he's a bad quarterback by any means, but the dude has lived off of his, uh, just how efficient he has been. But now your primary guy, the boy I love, A.J. Brown, over there going to be feasting on like 300 targets. But you are depending on a play action on a older running back who is definitely a freak of nature himself. But if Derrick Henry falters any this year, I don't know if the play action is going to work anymore. And then teams are going to try and hone in on A.J. Brown. And I don't know what Ryan Tannehill can do. Can he step up, find another guy like Fitzpatrick or somebody? and still be able to be a top 12 quarterback where people mostly have been putting him. I'm, I'm not sure if I'm willing to bet on that at this point because of that. So, so I'll say he would be the other guy I would say kind of lost value after the draft because they didn't add another weapon for him to fully utilize. Lost their coach too. Quick, quick question about AJ Brown to you guys. Yes. I, AJ Brown's a clear one and I understand why he is some people's dynasty wide receiver one. But with no other real threat like Corey Davis, do, do we not think the coverage is going to roll more his way? I do, but I don't think it matters. I, he's not my dynasty wide receiver one. Let me make that clear. Tyreek Hill is and will always be my dynasty wide receiver one because he's in the most easily projectable situation a wide receiver can be in. But A.J. Brown to me is a guy that, I mean, Cole Beasley had more multi or uh, double digit target games in the last two seasons than AJ Brown has had in his entire career. So he's a guy that we already talked about the volume. It should go up. So he's a guy that I'm not worried about whatsoever from a volume perspective. I think the efficiency will not stay the same because Tannehill and AJ Brown together as a tandem and Derek Henry included, they've all been super efficient. And I think that's bound to come down, not because of any kind of regression, but because Arthur Smith is gone. I think that's the reason that it comes down a little bit. And anytime if you look back historically, when a team loses its offensive coordinator, it's going to affect them negatively slightly. So I do think the the Titans offense as a whole will probably regress a little bit. But I think A.J. Brown's target volume should go up to 140, 150, 160 targets where it belongs, uh, to be honest, based on how good the guy is. Uh, I, I do want to point this out. I don't remember the exact stat, but I know Chance dropped it in, in the chat a, a while back, uh, going to your point, Andrew, on Derrick Henry. It was like when a running back – was it 26 or 27 years or older uh, receives 350 plus carries a season in one season, the next year, they basically fall off the face of the planet, like gone. I don't believe Derek Henry falls off the face of the planet, but there is a really good bet that there is some sort of regression. And I also think he's been really, really lucky thus far with injuries. So I'm not saying he will get injured, but it's kind of one of those things like, you know, the older you get, the more carries you got the previous year, like you start to, your body starts to get older. 
how many of those guys were Hall of Fame caliber talents, though? Like, to, to, well, I, to, I don't remember the exact stat. I just thought it was interesting. Like I, it, certain guys you make exceptions for, right? Like, we, I always talk about don't draft like old receivers all the time. I'm still going to draft Julio Jones this year. Like, it, it, there's certain guys that I'm willing to make exceptions for. Derrick Henry is one of them. It's, it's, a, it's the reason I never bet against Adrian Peterson throughout his career either. It's to me, I, I don't think that, uh, I don't think Derrick Henry is going to fall off at all from an efficiency perspective because he's getting old. I think if they fall off, it's going to be as an offense because Arthur Smith is gone and maybe Tannehill and AJ Brown and him collectively can't keep up that efficiency because the offense is a little bit more stagnant. I would say though, because of everything we're discussing about, I think Darrington Evans, I think is a good buy right now, just is a good handcuff to have because if something does happen to that offense and they need a spark or Henry gets hurt or they can't get something going, he would be the next guy up. So dirt cheap probably yeah. get him for a fourth rounder yeah exactly no no low cost all reward so yep i get that so yeah that was my two big guys we've already talked about miles sanders so i'm not really going to waste any time there so jumping over to the couple guys i had value increases on the very first guy i talked about on the show clyde edwards hilaire a lot of people were thinking okay well maybe they go in there get that draft they'll get some type of backup somewhere early day three is in that day three range they got no running back still. I don't even know if they've gone out and even looked at an undrafted running back and convinced one to come up. So ZH is still looks like he is about to feast for all the same reasons I've been saying. Year two, he's going to be a lot more what people were hoping he would be year one. They're gonna um, add, they're gonna add a veteran, I think. I don't think they're gonna go into the season. I think they're gonna bring Le'Veon Bell back or something like that. Like it's probably not gonna be a very significant veteran, but I think they're gonna add somebody to the point that. The C, I'm not saying there's like big time overhyped CEH people, but I do think people are going to cool down on him a little bit because they're going to add some kind of complimentary back to the offense. And I, I still think CEH is, is a fine bounce back candidate or whatever you want to call him next year. But uh, I do think they're not done adding to the backfield. I don't think they're going to go into it uh, the season with what they currently have. Right. Which that makes sense. I do expect them to add somebody, but I don't know if there's anybody really of significance that's going to take away too much especially when you look at it, most of the people I've already seen putting out ranks have them right around running back 18, maybe 19 now if they put Najee and Javante ahead of him if you include the rookies. And so for that value, like I think he's going to sit there and return close to RB1 status again for you. And that's just the value dips that you got to look for and you got to take advantage for when you're looking in dynasty leagues. So he was definitely the first guy I thought of as far as being a winner. Uh, you can include guys like Mike Davis, Miles Gaskin, Edmonds, but you can run to the same scenarios for each of them. Is the team done adding a running back there that might eat into their ceiling? So for Wayne me, it's Gallman's just going somewhere, man. He's going to disrupt yeah, somebody. I'm to. telling you right now, the Niners are going to cut Wayne Gallman and he's going to go to the chiefs or to the Falcons or to the Cardinals. He's going to ruin somebody. I know what's going to happen. It, yeah. He's just, he's, he's the grim reaper. He's going to, it'd be funny if him and Mike Davis landed in the same backfield because they were both like high value handcuffs last year that they just like, kind of collectively like cancel each other out next year. I, I saw like the, the uh, Falcons vacate like their entire backfield next year. Right. So if Davis gets even 65% of that opportunity share, he like the fantasy points he put up last year is actually going to look less so that he'd be possible putting up this year with the Falcons because their entire backfield, Gurley, Brian Hill, Ito Smith, all gone right now. So I, th I think they're going to add somebody at some point. The question is how big of an addition is it? Yeah, I want to touch real quick on Miles Gaskin. I, I'm not sure I would consider him a winner because what we do know is that the Dolphins did try and draft Javante, but they got sniped by the Broncos. 
but then after that, that he must have been the only guy that they really wanted, and they didn't bother with that. But they did take Jared Dokes there at the end of the seventh. So Miles Gaskin also has seventh round draft capital. Jared Dokes has seventh round draft capital, and uh, Salvin Ahmed from pulled over from the 49ers last year was an undrafted free agent. So there they have no investment really into anyone that's greater than the other on this roster. I fully expect the dolphins to have a true real competition and Flores wants one guy. Now I don't think it's Ahmed, uh, but it, it's going to be Gaskin or it's going to be Dokes in my opinion. It's, it's one of those two guys. If you own one or the other, you know, cross your fingers, but I think that that will be a very fun competition to watch this off season. Uh, I just drafted is. him in like the 26th round of a startup, Garrett yeah. Dokes. Because uh, and I, I saw the I saw the math bomb score, and I was like, you know what, this guy's 228. He's a pretty good athlete. I'm I'll take a shot on him. Yeah, that's that's what I was gonna say. He he scored like an eight eight and a half or eight point nine on the on for the Raz score. So he's he's actually much more athletic than than what you would think for someone his size. And he's not a scrub either. If you go back and watch the Cincinnati tape, this guy runs over people. And he's exactly what they didn't have last year with Gaskin. Now Gaskin's much more shiftier, but Gaskin couldn't get you the one yard. There was a. I remember watching him because I own I own a lot of Miles Gaskin shares. I remember watching a lot of games last year. Uh, 49ers game in particular stands out to me, where he had like five or six goal line carries. He didn't convert a single one the entire game. And then a guy like Dokes will get those. So it's interesting. Yeah, I I own a bit of Ahmed too. He's a guy I'm still interested in stashing, but he is he's kind of similar to Gaskin. So. Yeah. And so for me, more or less, it wasn't so, so much that like he's going to be a value throughout the rest of the season, but he helps out you owners that have the shares right there. If you have any doubts in your mind, you can probably go add the other piece cheap, or you can still sit there and get Miles Gaskin for a second down the road or use it as a bigger piece of upgrade somewhere else in your offense. So his value just didn't absolutely tank like some people expected. So yeah, I think I would just hold him if I had Gaskin. Go out and get Dokes and yep. Ahmed. You could probably trade two late, late round rookie picks just to secure that backfield. Because I do agree with Matt. Right. I think they're gonna decide on somebody. The question is who? Because physicality wise, they brought in Jordan Howard to try and fill the Garrett Dokes role that they might have an, in store for him. So if he can, if he could be competent in that role, they might, you know, relegate Miles Gaskin to more of a third down back type and and use Dokes on first and second down in that type of uh, situation, which I think would probably make a lot more sense if they're going to do something like that. But I guess we'll have to wait and see with those guys. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that pretty much leads me my, my last guy, big guy that I want to talk about with Michael Thomas. I'll say for the saints, everybody was expecting them to go up, get that receiver two somewhere in the draft, either day one, day two. And they ended up not being able to get anybody, whether it was by design or somebody just sniping them out in front. But Michael Thomas now is going to go back, no worries. You should be getting the exact same volume now if it's going to be from Taysom Hill. We've already seen what that looks like. He's still got double-digit targets, I believe, in every single game that Hill started. And then if it's Jameis Winston, Winston's probably just going to look at his receiver one and just throw it his direction. Yeah. And I expect Thomas to just to be able to do what he can with that. A lot of zero-catch games against the Bucks coming up for Michael Thomas again. Possibly. We'll see. <laughs> I got no rooting interest in that one. But for those who can still get him, like his value – I haven't seen him go right around receiver 10. And I think that's very, very fantastic value. I, I traded him away earlier in the off season. I traded him and this was pre-draft. I thought this guy was going to get replaced. So from this, this side of the trade might not look like a good thing, but I traded him and chase Edmonds. So I expected to get replaced by a, a higher end running back in the draft. At some point I traded him and chase Edmonds for the one Oh five and the one Oh seven, I think. And I ended up with Travis Etienne and Zach Wilson, who are two of my guys for me. So I'm absolutely happy with that trade because 
I mean, you could call it personal bias all you want. I don't want Michael Thomas on my fantasy team. It's just a personal thing for me. I don't like the guy. I never will like the guy. And I like to have fun watching my teams on Sundays. And Michael Thomas not being on my team is fun for me. So, Speaking of a guy, Andrew, do you have any more? Uh, I'm about to say, you got the guys like Lamar Jackson, I thought, had a good time. Matt Ryan, his value looks like it's up if they can keep Julio around. And then Darnold has no excuse. Whether He's, he's either – Nor does Daniel Jones. Fair enough. I didn't. Nor think does that. Lamar Jackson. <laughs> yep. Lamar's already produced. Yeah, it's so weird that Greg Roman immediately comes out and, and talks about balance because normally we think about when coaches talking about balancing their offense, it's usually in the other direction. They're usually talking about running the ball more. And Greg Roman immediately comes out after the draft picks and he's like, yeah, I think people are going to see a lot of, like, the exact quote I think was, they're, they're not going to expect what's coming from us or whatever. And like the offense is going to look a lot more balanced. He's like, we could do a lot more now with Rashad and Tylen Wallace in the fold and, and what Marquise can offer and, and, uh, and Mark Andrews still there. I, I think like they're a team that like threw the ball like 405 times last year. Like they're, they're not going to throw it 600 times, but I don't think they're throwing it 400 times either. Right. I'm uh I'm quietly pumping my fist over here. Cause there's one more name that you guys didn't mention that I'm excited to talk about. That's TJ Hawkinson. I brought him up months ago on our tight end podcast and I identified him as a guy that I could see taking that leap into kind of the more elite tight end tier. I, th- I think he finished as tight end five last year. So it's not like he was far away and that was on 101 targets. This team vacated 313 targets this year and we expected them to draft a pass catcher. You know, we talked about Amon Ra St. Brown and I like him, but we kind of expected them to draft or at least sign a wide receiver of kind of a higher, uh, you know, higher, a higher priority really. And they didn't. And it tells me that, and, and Goff has targeted his tight ends in LA. So I fully expect Hawkinson to get up into that at least like 120, 130 target share. And that's a big, big part of it at tight end. The, the, the elite guys are the guys that see the high volume and, and Hawkinson has the goods he's produced. And I think he's going to see a monster target share this year. So I'm excited about him just acquired him in one league. So that's a guy I wanted to mention. With that, you guys got any last names for us, or are we good? I know we could we could do this for hours. I think I'm, we'll I'm, I'm good. I, I got all my uh, my grievances out. I didn't give out my Trey Lance spiel of why he's QB one. You guys can check out my channel if you want to go look at that. I I gave a perfect um, spiel about it. The probably the best one I've given so far. The most coherent one I've given on uh, the Candlestick Kids podcast. So if you guys look up the Candlestick Kids on uh, on YouTube, uh, go to about I don't know. Uh, when we started talking about the NFC West, probably about 50 minutes into the, into the thing. And I gave a, a very impassionate uh, Trey Lance speech. And the, uh, the one guy who has never heard any of my content before said he was, uh, he was very in awe of how, how out on Trevor Lawrence I was. So real, real quick, I, I'm in a, I'm in a draft right now, watching the board move relatively quickly. Where was the earliest you'd take Michael Carter? You start I have Michael Carter. No, just rookie drafts. Yeah, I have him currently ranked at. Is this a super flex or a um, two QB, two tight end? Two QB and two tight end. Yeah. Okay, so very high value for quarterbacks. I currently have him ranked at 17, which is one spot behind uh, Elijah Moore, Terrace Marshall, and Deami Brown are the guys just ahead of him. He went two or two. Okay, I've seen two or three. 
Yeah, too. Like, I mean, that doesn't shock me because you're talking about like the running back position. Like, everybody knows running backs are valuable. Like, it's it's not a secret. The, fir- the first five picks of this round, if starting at two one, Devonte, Michael Carter, Waddle, Elijah Moore, Rashad Bateman. Yeah, like all I would take all of those guys Carter before Carter. first round players in yeah. my rankings. Actually, sorry, Waddle's thirteen, so he's That's... not because I have Mac Jones at twelve. But I, crazy, I right? will say, I just I traded for Michael Carter in that same Hawkinson deal, and I basically valued him as like a high-end second for what I gave up and I I feel fine with it I know that's that's on the high end but that's kind of you know where I'd be willing to go I mean for for what it's worth Michael uh, Carter he outproduced Javante Williams while they were together so I mean it's not like he's a bad running back no no he's he's a good he's a good player I just you know you have doubts about the fourth round draft capital the reason I have doubts about it is because they have five picks in the top three rounds next year two ones and two twos Right. And we know this is going to probably be a much better running back class next year, at least a deeper one than it was this year. So what's stopping them is if Carter comes out and doesn't perform, you know, to a starter caliber running back to stop them from drafting Brees Hall with their second first round pick. And I think I've heard the Gio Bernard comparison a lot. And Gio is a guy who was more of an every down guy early on in his career before they kind of you saw them bring in guys like Jeremy Hill and then obviously, you know, mix in eventually. So I could see him following that similar path where he's, you know, it's basically, I think of it as a San Francisco staff. They could take it the same way, you know, uh, Kyle Shanahan does, you know, you got your one guy, your Trey Sermon, your third, your fourth round guy. And then after that, it's just, let's throw everybody in the fire. Let's see who the top four guys come out without having to spend any capital whatsoever, really. So, I mean, I don't know. We'll see. All right. Well, like I said, we could go on for hours, but I guess we got to end somewhere. So that's going to do it for us today. Thank you guys for being back here with us. Remember, head on over to patreon.com backslash fantasy scouts. Get the inside info you won't get anywhere else. <laughs>